What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 104 of the Justin Insight podcast, a show where I, Tim Burbeck, talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and find out what makes them tick. Uh, hope everyone's well, had a nice week. Uh, I myself had a bit of a mixed bag, to be totally honest. Uh, I went and saw Captain Marvel, which was pretty rad. It was re- like, yeah, I'm, I'm a Marvel Films fan anyway, so I was always going to like it, but really strong storyline um, and kind of puts a lot of like the MCU into into context of what's sort of happening going into the new Avengers film which is coming out later next month well this month now we're in April aren't we Jesus um, and yeah so I'll be doing a review of that up on the site soon uh, and then on Saturday I went over to Brighton for the Seek and Destroy festival um, which was loads of fun saw some bands that I've never heard before some that I'd had I'd heard of but hadn't seen um, so yeah that was really rad um, Again, we'll be doing a review for that once I've edited through photos and stuff, um, which has kind of been taking up a lot of my downtime at the moment. But I'm really enjoying taking photos again. Um, so yeah, keeping busy. Um, I know we haven't had any news on at the start of the shows for the last couple of weeks, but I'm going to be totally honest. My head's kind of been buried in the sand with other things at the moment, so I do apologise for that. But in the next coming weeks got a few busy weeks ahead so once they're out of the way normal service will be resumed um i'm going to stop babbling on let's get into a guest uh this week i am joined by inclination vocalist tyler short um we discuss how uh skateboarding got tyler into sort of music and therefore sort of like exploring hardcore um what it means for him to be in a straight edge band and uh how kind of the the reasoning of inclination kind of came about um, how the band came to join Pure Noise and also sort of like the the ethos of setting out in hardcore. So yeah, this is a really cool chat. Um, there is a small caveat I didn't realise until I listened to the recording back, but for some reason the line goes really weird on the recording. I don't know why. When I was chatting to Tyler, it was absolutely fine, but for for some reason on the recording back, it kind of drops out. So. It goes a bit funny towards the end, but it doesn't detract from from the rest of the conversation. But as always, I like to be frank and transparent with you guys. So just giving you a little heads up, if it does drop out, it's not your sound system. It's my probably shitty laptop. Um, But yeah, that being said, enjoy the chat I have with Tyler and I'll see you on the other side. Uh, so, joining me this week on the Justin Insight podcast is vocalist of uh, Straight Edge Hardcore Band Inclination, uh, Tyler Short. Tyler, thank you very much for, for joining me. Um, I guess the first question is, uh, how's the knee? Well, how's the knee? Yeah. Uh, I actually just did uh, just my physical therapy, well, my first session for the day, like an hour ago. Oh, wow, okay. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I had a... ACL reconstruction, so it's like twelve weeks of PT before I go back to work. So did so it's it's, it's okay. It's not <laughs> great, but it's okay. <laughs> did did you actually tear it at LBD? Well, so five years ago, I tweaked it bad, and I think I partially tore it, but I didn't have health insurance at the time. Right. So I just kind of had to suck it up and walk it off. Okay. But at LDB, I uh, while fuming mouth was playing, I kicked my skateboard away and landed and my knee shifted completely out of place. Oh, no. And when it came back, I was like, all right, well, something's for sure wrong in there. And uh, I 
went a few days later to the knee special or to the orthopedic specialist and they uh got an mri done like a week later and they were like yep your acl is completely torn and you've got some meniscus tear shed too so we're gonna have to go in and reconstruct your knee oh shit like yeah it is what it is that's the thing because obviously over here in the uk we've got the obviously the benefit of the nhs so is it kind of like because I saw there was a uh, like a fundraising page as well. So, uh, have kind of people been sort of chipping in and sort of helping you out where they can? Yeah, uh, Peter, our guitar player, and Caleb, our bass player, they set it up. Basically, they called me and were like, "Hey, I know you wouldn't do this on your own, so we're going to do it for you." <laughs> yeah. And even if you don't want us to, we're still going to. We just thought we'd give you a heads up before we did it. So, because uh, the first time I heard it, like people were like. Hey, let's 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 do like a fundraiser. Let's do a benefit show. Blah blah. blah. Let's fix your knee. Like we want you to be able to mosh again and have fun. And because I spent like a year just on the sidelines watching because I couldn't participate because I was yeah. so afraid of fucking it up again. And I didn't have health insurance, so I was like, if I fuck it up again, I'm out of work for a month again, and who knows when I'll come back. Yeah. And uh, so they they did that, which is nice because it looks like if if it does make what it makes, then I should probably only be out of pocket about three grand. Okay, well, yeah, I was going to say, it could, could be a lot worse, I guess. Which is better than eight or nine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll get on to the more positive stuff. As I said, the, the show is called Just an Insight. I like mm-hmm. to take my guests right back to their kind of origins. So what was your first exposure to kind of alternative music? Well, so when the first exposure, I would say, was being very little watching the Woodstock 99 right. on MTV and seeing Green Day with like blue and green hair <laughs> yeah. and being like that looks cool as fuck like that's, that looks awesome and then I, I remember I would always my, my, my parents would keep like VH1 on TV all the time while they were just hanging out at the house so I would hear the When I Come Around music video like play and I would run out and watch it and then I'd go back to playing with toys and shit so I, I think Green Day is probably one of the first bands that like showed me that I was weird and then <laughs> yeah. uh, and then but then in, in middle school when I was because I'm, I'm 30 so when I was in middle school like bands like No Doubt and Sum 41 and Blink-182 were all big so like punk music was pop music kind yeah. of at the moment so like I liked all those bands but skateboarding is definitely what introduced me to hardcore and uh and straight edge yeah. and things like that like just being I, I, I actually I so I do this. I do this thing every week. I make my girlfriend a playlist of music that uh, for her to like either be exposed to or um, things that she already kind of likes or you know maybe doesn't know she likes. Yeah. And this week I made her one that was all music from skate videos that I watched when I was younger. Oh, nice. And uh, and it was, it was cool going back and like looking at some of the track listings from these skate videos because I remember vividly like hearing like Eric B and Rakim and uh, and hearing Bad Religion and Motorhead and shit like that like I, I very vividly remember being exposed to those bands but then when I was looking at the track list for one of the videos I was like oh the Get Up Kids were on this <laughs> I remember this now but I didn't, I didn't get into them for like 10 more years but it's just so funny to I me mean, to see like all this music that I was exposed to when I was really really young like Roland's band and didn't actually come around to Roland's band until like years after listening to Black Flag so I don't know it's just it was skateboarding definitely like Jutted me into an exposure of punk music, yeah. but it took still like I started skating when I was eleven or twelve, and I was I was fifteen or sixteen before I went to a hardcore show and right. realized that hey I can 
any weekend I can go see bands play this music that yeah. I like. Like I, I, just, I had no idea. I was completely oblivious to it. I thought all the all the kids who uh, all the kids who who were in bands in my high school, uh, they uh, they kind of came off as like posers when it came to skateboarding. Okay. So uh, I didn't realize that they were actually uh, not posers when it came to <laughs> music, and uh, and they were actually way fucking cooler than me and way way more knowledge on everything than I was. So that was another thing when I was younger was I just like listening to the older kids tell me things. So I could connect the dots and I would take notes in my head and I'd go home and I'd look for these bands and try to figure out how everything played into one another. Yeah. So what, as you say, you kind of skateboarding kind of put you into that path. So how did you kind of get into to skateboarding? My cousin bought me a skateboard for Christmas and I never stopped. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> like, we, well, we've been playing Tony Hawk for, and that's another thing, I think Tony Hawk Exposed me to punk music in, yeah, a, yeah. in a big way too, but uh, I've been playing Tony Hawk with one of my friends in my neighborhood who actually passed away uh, recently from uh, opioid uh, bullshit. But uh, he, him, and me both got skateboards the same year for Christmas, and I remember going home and calling Ian and being like, "Hey, I got a skateboard," and he was like, "I got a skateboard." I'm like, well, what, what do you, what, we know we're gonna do tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. So I remember like shoveling out like a section of street because it had snowed and we were just rolling back and forth trying to ollie we were terrible at it we could not do it but we were just falling in the snow and having a fucking blast so yeah that was that was pretty much it was just my cousin saw it at walmart or target it was target it's an x games brand skateboard and that was my first board that i had for about six or seven months until i got a real one okay cool so then, in terms of kind of, as you say, like listen, watching like the skate videos and sort of hearing sort of the music, what were you? What would you say is kind of like the first sort of bands that that kind of, I guess, kind of put you on the path to to the sort of music that you're kind of playing now? I guess. Um. Well, the thing is, is like I, I was into like just the the bare like. The, the, the big three Black Flag Misfit Minor Threat like I liked those bands right. a lot um, the first skate video I was actually in I, I skated to a Dinosaur Junior song oh awesome and uh, and Minor Threat Straight Edge was like the opening montage uh, to the video and uh, those were like VHS skate videos too, yeah, yeah. like the skate park the skate park I went to sold and uh, like so I, I was I was introduced to those bands, but as far as like hardcore in the sense of like, and the, like deeper than that, I remember the year I started like I, the way I started going to shows was my friend Tyler, who's my best friend at the time. He would he would say, "All right, Tyler, we're going to go to the skate park, but first we're going to go to the show." And I would say, "Okay, like I'll go to the show if it means I'm going skating." <laughs> yeah. And then I would go to the show and I would you know see like a black flag cover and I'd be like, "Oh, that's neat." But I can remember very vividly the only CDs he had in his car that summer of going to, you know, starting to get involved in hardcore and, you know, skating a lot and starting to, deep, you know, delve deeper into music. I remember he had uh, the Cold World, like the Ice Grills album. Oh, sick. And uh, Bane the Note. And that's the funniest. That's the first Bane record I heard was the one that people fucking talk about not being as good. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but I loved it. I loved it because it was new to me. Yeah, and uh, so I can really vividly remember like Bane and Cold World being the first couple bands I got into, and then Mental, like Mental was definitely a big, a big kind of showing me what hardcore was, 
and shaping like kind of the attitude I felt that I already kind of had, like the working hard, not expecting things to be given to you, mm. you know, all the, the, the basically half of mental songs. Yeah, yeah. About, you know, respect and straight edge and, uh, and having fun. And that was the thing I connected to a lot was that there was a lot of bands around that time I felt like that were very into having fun and weren't as serious. Mm. as other bands that you know were going on at the time and going on now and in terms of kind of I guess because have you always been from Louisville or have you, is that somewhere you've moved to yeah no born and raised so in terms of could you say obviously your, your friends sort of started taking you to shows but what was kind of has there always kind of been a bit of a, a scene there or, or was it something that latterly that you kind of discovered and then went further afield to go to shows well louisville was louisville has died several times over the years (laughs) i can relate to that it's very much like where i'm from yeah no i mean it's it's hardcore in general honestly i think it's universal it goes in cycles but uh we uh louisville was really really big in the early 90s and stuff like bands like endpoint uh by the grace of god like there was like thousands of kids who would go to shows and then all those kids started kind of like, they started cycling out, they were getting older, they were starting to go to bars. And um, when I started going, there was this new kind of movement in Louisville called the Maximum Louisville, which was like bands like Coliseum and uh, Breathe Resist. Right. Which I actually, I started going like, I think like six months after Breathe Resist played their last show is when I started going uh, to shows. <laughs> oh, no. Nice. Like those, those, those bands, like, yeah, I just missed the window on some really cool things. But uh, like Black Cross, I don't know if you ever heard Black Cross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they were like, they were they were kings when I started going. But they were kings of the falling empire. Like they were, you know, all of their their scene were aging out, moving away. Um, so like there was a, a small group of young kids who like had a couple bands that kind of tried to keep things going. But after like once they were all out of high school, some of them went away. And um, a lot of them were straight edge and sold out and lost interest in hardcore. And uh, and a lot of us, the, my generation aged out quickly. Like where the generation before me aged out in their 20s, my generation aged out in their 1920s. Right. And uh, so it kind of like died again. So whenever I was, you know, living, breathing hardcore in my, like my first couple of years of college, which the only couple of years of college I went to, <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, all of my hardcore shows were out of town. So I would, Nashville's two and a half hours south, three, three hours south, so, but uh, changed time zones. So we, so we used to get to cheat going and then suffer going home. Um, in Nashville, Indianapolis, uh, Chicago, there's this little college town in, Evan, in Indiana called Evansville. They had a lot of shows. Didn't really see St. Louis too much in those days. Didn't see Cincinnati too much until I got a little older. Mm. But uh, but yeah, like those were all the those were the hubs around us, which it never made sense for Louisville to not have a hardcore scene when I could easily travel to six different cities for yeah. hardcore shows. Why can't it happen in my city where these six different cities could travel to for a hardcore show? Yeah, which is kind of I think part of the success of the fest that we do now in Louisville that it's so central to Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Tennessee, Missouri, that all these states are easily able to come and then around it. Those states are still, you know, pretty within reach mm. to come. But, uh, 
but yeah, I, had, I traveled for all my hardcore shows, so that was the thing. A lot of uh, that's I feel like the start of there was this attitude in the Midwest where we've kind of always been like you know the forgotten area, the flyover states, the places that nobody really pays attention to the bands that are from there, but the you know bands have to still come through here and play on their way to other places. But uh, where the East Coast and the West Coast get kind of spoiled, where all the hardcore shows always come to them, we were, you know, having to squeeze into cars and drive two and a half, three hours for, you know, every show we went to. Yeah. Yeah. Expensive. Most of my money went to gas. <laughs> yeah. I I can totally relate, but I guess on a on a much smaller scale, obviously, because where where I'm from is is so it's weird. It's like a central city in the south coast of England, but where are you exactly? Uh, so I'm in Portsmouth. Okay, I've heard of that. Yeah, but but because like so we're surra- I'm surrounded, but like it's a central point between London, Brighton and sort of Bristol so bands go to those three cities but miss out Portsmouth so I have to kind of I've similar like travel I travel to all the shows that I go to because no one seems to want to come through this city it's weird but it is what it is as you say but um in terms of kind of like getting into sort of playing hardcore yourself like was there a I guess I don't know because for for me there was sort of like a light bulb moment when I saw sort of hardcore live. So was there like one gig that kind of sticks out in your mind that you saw and you thought, oh, I I I want to do this. This is what I want to be part of, sort of thing. You see, I never would have thought I would be in a band. Right. Okay. That age, but I can tell you for I can tell you specifically when I the moment I realized that hardcore was the coolest thing. Yeah. There was the first out-of-town hardcore show I went to was in Richmond, Virginia. I was 17, and um, there was like a blip in, there was like a blip where Cold World broke up, and people were all fucking devastated because they were like the coolest fucking band for a minute. And yeah. And they stopped. I think their drummer quit for a second. And then like eight months later, they were going to, they were, no, they're not broken up. They're going to play a show. And <laughs> yeah. They're going to be a band again. So it was a huge deal when, like, for a second, everybody thought, you know, they lost this great gym, and now it's going to come back. That uh, So when they came back, they played a few shows on the East Coast, and we went to the Richmond one, and it was, I remember it was War Hungry opened, and it was just a, 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 a magical night. Like, I remember very vividly there was a few specific things that I thought were very, very cool that I that still stick with me and it was I had just recently gotten into Life of Agony and started listening to River Runs Red yeah and because I just recently gotten into everything like I just started listening to Judge I just started listening to a bunch of bands but I just started really like like on repeat every day listening to River Runs Red and War Hungry opened with Underground and I remember having this like <sighs> like fucking moment where my head was just blown away I was like this is a, I've been listening to this and <laughs> right now like, like this is like meant to be and uh, I remember watching uh, Hoodrack from War Hungry stage dive during his own band, and I'd never seen that before. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, well, that's cool as fuck. And then uh, after they played, Brace War played, and oh, I remember sick. Braces came out wearing a Down to Nothing crew neck, which I later acquired that crew neck and then lost in a, I think, a girlfriend trade or something at some <laughs> point. But uh, I think I let a girlfriend have it, and I think I regret that now but it won't fit me anymore anyway so I can, <laughs> I can, I can let that one 
one go in my head, but uh, but I uh, but I saw a, a dude in a band wearing. Uh, it was always I felt like passe and like 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 taboo to wear merch of the band that were playing the show. Yeah. But for a band to do it, it seemed almost like this like endorsement moment where it was like, you know, like motherfuckers, if you like my band, you better like what I'm wearing. Yeah, and, yeah. And it was like I remember that sticking out to me because it was like. It was the red down and nothing crew neck. It was like a fucking. It was, I wanted it. I, I saw him wearing it and I wanted it. And I thought Brace War was sick, even though somebody kicked me in the back of the head during the oh, immediately. Um, but it was awesome because I thought I was standing in a safe place too. I was not. I got trampled <laughs> from somebody running off of the bar, and I thought it was badass. Like there was nowhere safe in the room, and uh, and I loved it. And then after war cold world played which was the reason i was there and i lost my fucking mind and i stage dove like i should not have being the first out of town show i'd ever been at and i probably looked like a fucking idiot i had a mohawk at the time and uh but then afterwards down to nothing played and i'd never even seen down to nothing before or even heard them yeah so that fucking blew me away i and i remember during down to nothing the dan mills the singer cold world was down singing along and moshing with all the kids and he was like a giant among some of these skinny, scrawny kids <laughs> yeah. who were going off for down or nothing. And I was like, holy shit, like, like the bands all like the band. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is not a thing I'm familiar with because in, you know, real music, you don't see that accessibility with, like, you know, in, in like popular music, you don't see that accessibility with the people who are in the groups. You just, you know, you go to a concert, you pay, there's backstage there was no backstage at these shows, you know, the pit was where everybody congregated and, and everyone participated. And I remember like going home with that feeling of, holy shit, like everyone's the same at a hardcore show. Like that's so, that's so badass. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I just, you know, I was just going nuts at shows for two years before one of my friends was, they started up a band while they were, they moved into a house, started a youth crew ish band and they all agreed they wanted me to sing for it, and then it was terrible. I'm really glad it didn't record. But, uh, <laughs> so that was the first chance I, I had to sing a set and play a seven seconds cover, and I remember going, you know, after that, it was basically I've just been in a band consistently since I was 18. Yeah. Well, then, in terms of that, kind of getting into your own sort of musical exploration, obviously people will know you for, for doing vocals but was that always kind of your path did you sort of dabble with any other musical instruments or has it always kind of been vocals that you've been drawn to we moved into a house and we had a lot of the hardcore shows there for a while it's called the chestnut house right um it was it was like the central location in louisville for a while me and like a group of eight or nine kids moved into this this house and down like near downtown louisville um and we used to have shows in our living room. But uh, when I was living there, my friend Chesley, who plays in this band Wicked Garden here, that uh, I threw away a bunch of my money to put out their 7-inch, um, <laughs> they, uh, he, he's, he's an amazing bass player. He plays guitar in Wicked Garden, but he's a, a phenomenal bass player. And he was like, Tyler, just, just you know, we're, we're like there's nights where we're not doing anything. Come over, I'll teach you how to play bass. And uh, I can't retain anything. Right. I just can't. I, I I can learn something. Like I can spend an hour or two learning something. Next day, fucking gone. <laughs> oh, I'm shit. like, the, like just 
memory wipe at the end of the day. So uh, it could have a deal to do with the concussions I've suffered throughout my life, but uh, I, uh, I I just say I have stupid fingers. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, and then I'm also left-handed, so I always like we had a, the um, one of the kids who played drums who lived in the house who played drums in my old band for a little spell. Uh, I would always think like, oh, you know, Cam was like, yo, you, you ever want to try to learn how to play drums? You can, you know, play around with my kit whenever you want. But I never felt right doing playing right-handed or playing like open. Yeah. And using the I, like I can't kick drum with my right foot. I have to do it with my left. So I would have to switch his cymbals and everything around. And I'm just honestly come down to it, lazy piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> a lazy piece of shit, and I didn't want to do that little bit of thing that would have maybe made me uh, more of a contribution to hardcore and well. In my in my head, I was just you know I'm just gonna mosh and not care about my physical well-being as long as possible, and that's my contribution to that. <laughs> so, in, in that case, was it kind of, sort of, you were put in that sort of vocal position, and then it was just sort of like, try it and see what happens then? Yeah, I mean, when it first, when I, I remember the first couple bands I had, I, like, it took me a while to find my voice, and not just like my, like the sound of my voice, but like, what I wanted to talk about and what I wanted to scream about. Cause I like the first band, I know it was just, uh, I, I, I knew there was things that people wrote about. So I wrote about those things. Yeah. But then the, the second band I was in, I kind of like looked a little bit more like into myself and how I felt about things and like just the, the shit that I, you know, battled with internally and that was kind of what I wrote about. And then I ended up being in like a heavier, darker band. So that was kind of a little easier to write up for because I, I had like a like a subject matter I knew yeah. I could write about, which was, you know, evil, dark shit. And, uh, but then I remember when I finally had like my own band and I, you know, played around with all these other different things, like what do I want to write about? And I wanted to write about the things that made me angry. And I knew that. I knew that I wanted to write about the things that made me angry, like the things in the world that made me angry, the people that made me angry. And a lot of my writing ends up, well, ended up around that time being about people. Not so much people that hurt me, but I wrote a lot about the people who hurt the people I care about. Yeah. So there's like, I, I was in this band Another Mistake, and a lot of my lyrics got misunderstood in a lot of ways, and like, people wondered who songs were about and what songs were about, and songs were about like 20 different things. Okay. I also like to write about like an array of a subject, that way whenever we played it, I could talk about different aspects of it. Right. And not and not have this rehearsed speech, or this rehearsed <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I like to have like multiple applications for what the songs were about and what the songs meant and uh and what i you know what the message was and what went into the reason i wrote it so uh because i don't i don't ever plan on anything we say i shoot from the hip always and it gets me in trouble sometimes but (laughs) it's honest it's honest and it's never i never give the same talk you know intentionally yeah it's just not something i like to do Mm. well Obviously, kind of nowadays, obviously doing stuff with, with inclination. But prior to to that, what would you kind of say was the bands that that kind of 
I guess gave you sort of a grounding like what was there a band that sort of was doing more active touring like sort of setting out releases and kind of put you in good stead for for what you're doing now I guess like what band like influenced me no no a band that you were in that kind of like that you felt this oh. this is sort of like your grounding point kind of thing oh a band i was in yeah um another mistake was probably that I, I poured all my heart into that for five six years i think i can't okay. remember exactly what it was started in 2010 i think we ended in 2016 so yeah six years i poured just about every bit of me but like Inclination is really a product of the fact that I was in. I've been. I've been doing bands. See that got 2017s when we put that out. So I wrote most of those lyrics between 2016 and 2017. I would. So I'd been doing bands for 10 years at that point. Yeah. And I'd never written anything about Straight Edge. Okay. So when Inclination started. Because it felt weird. It felt weird to write a song about Straight Edge when I knew, like, my, you know, are my guitar players smoke weed or... Yeah, yeah. You know, you know we're doing acid or shrooms and shit. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't, feel, I don't feel comfortable writing a song about being drug-free when it doesn't represent the band. And I always, I've always been a really big... Um, on sharing my lyrics throughout the, the process with the other members of my band to make sure everybody's, you know, everybody's behind the things I'm saying so I yeah. don't want to go up there and represent a, a position that they don't agree with but Inclination was basically like the you know breaking the dam on all the feelings and thoughts I'd had for years that I'd never been able to truly voice or specifically address mm. in that way so but uh yeah I would say another mistake was definitely the, the thing that I poured the most of myself into and learned how to write better yeah than i did before so so was another mistake kind of like the band that you you were sort of like starting to go on tours with and things like that or had you kind of done that that's where i met i met most people when another mistake was on tour the band i was in briefly in the intermediate point was a band called rattletooth we had a seven inch on closed casket when like closed casket was small right and didn't really get that much attention um but uh that I was an ad in that band. I, I replaced the original singer. Who okay. Was, who was actually my barber now. <laughs> Brilliant. But, uh, but yeah, I, I repl- he was my best friend at the time. So like when, when he quit, it kind of made sense for if they were going to keep going, like they asked him, they were like, you know, would you be okay with Tyler if we asked Tyler to do it? And he was like, hell yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of weird though. Cause he had a little bit of pull with, uh, with the kids who were aging out. So like, Rattletooth kind of had this like array of support from like the young to the old where I was you know younger and a little more juvenile so when I you know when he quit the band he took kind of the older crowd away from right Rattletooth. but Rattletooth when I met like I met Caleb who plays an inclination on the first Rattletooth tour I did and uh part of the reason I actually was in a band with our guitar player Peter um, when I got asked to join Rattletooth and part of the reason me and Peter's band broke up and kind of fizzled out was because I joined Rattletooth and started doing more with them so it kind of seemed like I didn't care as much about the other band but truly truth be told I just I just do whatever I'm told to do 
<laughs> Fair enough. Um, I can't play anything, so I'm just told to show up, and I show up. <laughs> and if we go on to, to inclination itself, obviously you said like meeting Peter and Caleb and things like that. So how how did the, the decision to kind of form this band come about? And was it always kind of from the from the inception a decision that this is going to be a very out there straight edge band no okay so three-fifths of inclination weren't in the original planning right okay of the band the band was originally isaac was supposed to play drums because there are no drummers in louisville and at the moment no straight edge drummers in right louisville. um and caleb was going to play bass and we had a few other people who were set up to play guitar. And we kind of had had it planned to be like this sort of super group of sorts where um, my friend Matt, who plays in this band Miracle Drug, he was going to sub for our friend Eric when he was at school. We were going to kind of be a band that just kind of played willy-nilly whenever Isaac was home. Right. It wasn't going to be that serious, and it wasn't even going to sound like it does now. Um, that wasn't even... A considered thing that it would be like a one king down strife kind of um more metallic uh sound it was supposed to be just more of just a regular hardcore band yeah but isaac got fed up and just wrote the ep oh, okay by, by himself so i would get sent songs every now and then i remember when he first sent me a song he sent me the first I think he sent me the first two songs at the same time. Okay. And they were linked. And I was like, holy shit, this is sick. And I wrote, sat down at that, the moment he sent them and wrote the lyrics for both two, the first two songs on the spot. That's awesome. And so then it was just kind of a, well, now Isaac's got to play guitar. <laughs> yeah. Like, he, he wrote these songs, so now we have to figure out. So... Luckily, one of the kids who was originally going to play guitar could also play drums, but he lives in Indianapolis. So we spent this whole long time trying to organize practice and blah, blah, blah and stuff. And it just never was lining up. Nothing was working. Nothing was happening. And then um, we kind of like tried out a few like people to see if they would work. And, um, and it wasn't really working. And we had already kind of agreed to play the pre-show for LDB Fest last year. Right. And uh, so we had a, we had to play a show, and we needed to figure out a drummer. And Brian, who plays drums now, who's in that Wrist Meets Razor band, and Shane, he, uh, he has lived all over the place, but he's from Kentucky. And he was, when we started Inclination as the idea, and we started as the band, he was still living elsewhere. So he had moved home since we were having this drummer, you know, turmoil. And then it kind of turned into like a few months before we were like, all right, well, let's let Brian try. And first practice, it was pretty obvious that he was going to play drums. Yeah. And, uh, and Peter was kind of, Peter was kind of a late ad, even though Brian was the latest ad. Um, and it just honestly, like part of the, the appeal for Peter being in the band is Peter's like one of the oldest people going to hardcore shows. Okay. And Isaac is easily one of the youngest people playing in band. Yeah. So, it was it's this awesome dynamic where we have like one of the youngest straight edge kids in Louisville and one of the oldest playing in a band together. It was I don't know, it was it was it was meaningful to me. Yeah, yeah. To see those two playing guitar in the band. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just it's I, I me and Caleb had been wanting to do a band together for years, but 
we've always been living separately. And I mean, he was playing in Expire, but then he was living in Lexington. So he was living close enough to do a band, but he just didn't have time yeah. to do it because he started going back to school and shit. So it, uh, inclination's a complicated mess. <laughs> <laughs> and in terms of kind of strange, there's something that I always find quite interesting is kind of people's sort of discovery of it and sort of the reason that they decide to kind of say that they are straight edge so what's your kind of relationship of i know it sounds silly because you're in a straight edge band but like what yeah. what was kind of like your sort of way into it and why did you sort of decide to adopt it as as the lifestyle that you live honestly it part of the reason i wanted to call the band inclination is the reason of i have behind things straight edge okay when when i was younger when i started skating and i started like skateboarding exposes you to a lot of shit like Mm. you basically you've you've now stepped foot on a transportation that can take you all over the city yeah alone um you run in with a ton of kids who are you know running away from home living in bad you know, situations, dealing with bad things, and it's all unsupervised. It's mostly illegal. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're, you're, the central point of skateboarding is you're trespassing at all times. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, not a sport, but it's an art grounded in, uh, in delinquency. So, you know, I was exposed to a lot of things young, like... I remember when I was 13, I started being around people who were smoking weed a lot, and I never really, I still never smoked weed in my life, and, well, obviously now I'm not going to do it, but like, <laughs> when, I was, when I was that age, I, I made that call pretty young, yeah. that I didn't want to do that, because once kids started smoking weed, it seemed like they just got lazier and they didn't want to skate, and all of the stereotypical things people say about, you know potheads and burnouts but it, it was it was real to me i was like i noticed it i was like damn you guys started smoking weed and you stopped caring to go skate like you 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 moved a priority ahead of skateboarding which i did was not fucking willing to do yeah and my relationship with alcohol my dad uh worked at a well he worked when i was little he worked at a liquor store now i like, grew up going going there and uh climbing on beer box pyramids and shit and Honestly, shoplifting candy when no one was looking. <laughs> um, but uh, but I, I remember it being like kind of a sad state, and all these people like coming into this liquor store every single day. Yeah, like the same people would be in, and it didn't really hit me as sad till I got older, and I started realizing that I knew people's names from you know the short time I hung out at this liquor store when I was younger. And uh, and I've always just thought alcohol was pretty pretty bogus. It seems pretty much like it's always felt to me like something you only do because the person next to you is doing it. Yeah. And, um, and also when I started being exposed to alcohol and people drinking, it seemed like people were only doing it to get late. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And that just seemed like the wackest reason to drink something that tastes and smells disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I mean, I've, throughout my life, I've been, you know, just constantly around people who use alcohol as a dating service. Right. And I just, to me, it's just, it's, it's always seemed whack. The only time I ever took a sip of alcohol was in my sophomore year. I came home from a skate trip with 11 staples in my head, failing all of my classes. And my parents took my skateboard away. 
so I can I remember those days being like, well, you know what? You guys are going to take the only thing that makes me happy away. I'm going to fuck off even more than usual. And I ended up going to a couple parties and drinking, and it was just not for me. I just got a headache and just didn't really didn't really feel it. I wasn't an enjoyable experience. For yeah. Me. So when I after you know the two exposures to alcohol I had, I was pretty convinced that I wasn't going to do that. So I remember making short work of designing a skateboard that I could keep secret from my parents at a friend's house, and that was what got me through those few months of being grounded from my skateboard was my secret board. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so like when when it came down to like being straight edge, I, I call it in in October. I call my date in October. Yeah. Most kind of because of the it's the tenth month of the year, but also uh, so it's the X. But uh, the in October when I was a senior in high school, there was a show in Louisville that this band Expired Youth played. Yeah. Which is people from uh, Harm's Way and Convicted and oh, okay. Crowd. Um, Expired Youth played, and they were like the band, the bigger band on the show. But Few in the Proud played, which is like a smaller Chicago straight edge. Yeah, band. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of them. Dude, I love Few in the Proud so much. The band fucking ripped. Yeah. Um, but they covered Judge, and Wake Up Call played, and they covered their Judge song, even though they're not a straight edge band. But uh, Make or Break from Florida, they also played, and they covered Judge too. And I've just recently really gotten into bringing it down. Right. So. It was kind of one of those moments again, of, you know, when I saw that show in Richmond and, you know, I saw that Life of Agony cover, I was like, you know, fuck, this is what I like right now and it's happening right in front of me. And I really kind of feel these words. Like I feel this angry about drugs and alcohol. Yeah. And I was like, and I got a, an expired youth shirt and I went home and I kind of thought about it a little bit. And I was like, I'm already straight edge. Like I've had a drink of alcohol. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm, I'm already not doing anything. I'm already straight edge. And that's kind of the whole, my, my whole idea for Inclination was just, Inclination is a straight edge band for people who are effortlessly straight edge. Yeah. It's just the most sensible thing that's going on in your life is that you don't do drugs or alcohol mm. because you've been somehow naturally inclined to abstain from it. Yeah. And that's kind of how I felt about straight edge and whenever we kind of started dreaming up this band inclination was in my head the only choice for the name that's cool and then obviously in terms of kind of before we get onto the new the like the new ep obviously the stuff that you you guys have done sort of passing up until now has been as i said it's very openly straight edge and obviously your lyrics are very as you say sort of talking about like the the sort of angle towards sort of drug use and things like that but I, th- I think especially like in sort of 2019 okay yeah there are other straight edge bands and they may have one or two straight edge songs but you that is like a very big identifying factor of your band so was that something that you you actively wanted to push or, or was it just something that again kind of came naturally as the band sort of started to kind of progress and things like that well the first the first EP was like I said it was the dam of straight edge ideas I've had for years mm. that I've never been able to clearly express being busted open and pouring out so 
like with with those songs it it just it made it made sense for them all to be about straight edge and then when it came time to write again i had i'd thought a lot about i'd, I'd written the first three songs bef- the lyrics for the first three songs on the uh the new ep before the music was even written right okay so i already had grounded that three songs on it were going to be massively straight edge or anti-drug yeah um and when it came to writing the rest of it i'm actually I'm, i got ahead of myself i started thinking about our next record and a little too much and i started <laughs> kind of planning i started planning for it so i started kind of coming up with with subjects and themes that i wanted to write because whenever because i knew coming out of this because i'd already written those three songs and they don't really pertain to one another I really wanted whenever we do something else for the songs to kind of pertain to one another and right. lead to one another and kind of an overall like message, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, actually, yeah. Because our next record will be an LP, and I wanted to, I wanted to really think about an LP. So I started thinking about it a little too early, mostly because I thought this, this last EP was only supposed to be three songs. Yeah. When we first dreamed it up, it was only supposed to be three songs. They dropped it on me about two months before we were going to record that it's going to be five songs and we're going to write them now. <laughs> so they, the first three were mostly Isaac again doing them because he needed to get them out of his system. Right. And then the second two were collaborative with him and Peter. And Peter kind of saved me a little bit because I'd already, you know, essentially set some subjects on a shelf for the next record. So I wasn't willing to burn them for this record, right? When I thought they could mean more in the, you know, encased in an LP. So when they sent me the new songs, I was like, I kind of worked one set of lyrics to one of them, and I I was working the other one, but it was I wasn't a hundred percent on the lyrics. And I got a text from Peter saying, hey, can I help write lyrics for one of these songs? And I was like, which one do you want to write? And he was like, the longer one. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> because I need some help. So the new EP, actually, he he co-wrote that song with me. He had ideas for the... Um, he had a, the idea for the end of it. And the part that we where we go back and forth, he wrote those lyrics. So I just kind of had to fill in the blanks with the rest of it. And I had him like really explain to me like, it was like, oh, okay, so these lyrics are similar in theme to some songs we've written or yeah. some songs we could write in the future. I want to know exactly what your headspace is with this because I'm going to write in that headspace. And um, and I think, it, I think it came out cool. I had a lot of people read it and try to pick out which parts were written by different people and I would have people read it and say can you tell two people wrote this and they'd be like no and I'd be like okay cool good that's cool um, but uh, but yeah I mean it, to me it's just like I for the first the first two songs of the first EP like it just made sense to write the first song about how I'm never gonna sell out and I've been I've made the joke a couple times when we played recently that I'm never gonna sell out because I'm gonna die first there's just no way i'm not gonna i'm not gonna live long enough to sell out like i'm gonna be <laughs> doing this till i'm you know concussed and dead in the, in the floor but uh and then the, the second song i uh 
I've talked about it a couple times, but I can specifically remember being kind of called out when I was younger for being straight edge, but before I was 21, right? getting that weird, that weird elitist that doesn't count yeah, uh, yeah. sort of attitude. And um, I told it, we played, we played with By the Grace of God. Um, it was like one of our, I think it was like our third show or something like that. But uh, I told this story, but we were, I was skating out in front of my first, the first punk house I ever moved into, which is actually where the band, the first band I was ever in started. So I was like, just freshly 18. I moved, I told my parents I was moving out and they couldn't stop me. So they, uh, so I'm sitting there, I'm skating out in front of the house. There's a show going on. So there's a lot of people hanging out. And, um, one of the older guys was like, Hey Tyler, uh, how long have you been straight edge for? And I was like, well, 17. I was like a meek little fucking skinny 120 pound kid. I was like, mm, 17, so like a year and a half. And, uh, and uh, one of the older guys who, honestly, I normally would just kind of call him out and say, he was, in a, he was in a big straight edge band from Seattle okay. at one point, but he lived in Louisville for a while. And I'm not going to call him out. He wasn't even involved in hardcore anymore, I don't think. But, uh, but uh, it, was, it was really lame, but he was like, he was like, oh, I was in County Year 21. But yeah, he was being yeah. kind of serious when he said it. And I remember looking at him, and I said, "I said, hey, did you did you skate?" And he was like, "Yeah." And I kicked my board over to him, and I said, "Do a kickflip." <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, he kind of looked at me like, like I can't fucking do that anymore. And I was like, okay, don't tell me that it doesn't count that I'm straight edge if you're not gonna do a kickflip right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. If you said, if you can tell me right now that you skate. So I, I remember pushed my board off and felt real fucking, real fucking good about that burn. <laughs> so good that I brought it up ten years later at the show. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, that's so that's kind of what In with the New was about was this this idea that like when you start being straight edge, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And as a person who's watched so many people go, every new kid matters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even if a new kid doesn't stay, they might convince another kid to claim, or they might be a, 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 a push for someone else to find straight edge, and they do stay. Mm. So it's all it's all positive, and there's nothing bad about it. But uh, I do kind of take offense sometimes when people try to say we're a militant straight edge fan because we're very much not. Yeah, and in terms, I, of, I, oh sorry, go on. No, you're good. I, my, my buddy Dustin, who plays my other band, he, uh, he called us a reasonable straight edge band. <laughs> and I like, I like that. I like that, that phrase. I like that term. Well, I guess that kind of does fit into my next question. Because obviously the, the Midwest Straight Edge uh, EP was obviously kind of what drew a lot of people to, to you guys, myself included. Um, for me, obviously, I am straight edge myself. So there is that kind of instant connection of why I was drawn to it but there's a lot of people that I know that aren't straight edged and are sort of like heavy drinkers but are really drawn to to that EP anyway so was was there a moment that like you kind of realized like okay yeah we are a straight edge band but like we appeal to the masses on because we're embedded within the hardcore world and we're playing a sort of a type of music yeah it's got that sort of one king down sort of edge to it but at the time it was quite fresh and new and i think that's what excited a lot of people so w- was there a moment that kind of you realized like oh this is bigger than just being a straight edge band 
the first week it was released. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, within within like seven days, I would say of it being put up, like and seeing the reaction to it, among, like across my friends and people I didn't know. There's always that you know question, like because I've been in this for a long time. Like when I start a band, like there's a I've, I've, there's a captive audience yeah. of your friends who are going to listen to the band. But I realized very quickly, almost immediately, in that first week, I would say more people heard Inclination than heard any of my previous bands. Come wow. On. Okay. And, and that's, you know, after, you know, years of touring in some bands, mm. like, and trying and, and, you know, hitting the beat, like, it was that first week, I mean, a lot of it's Isaac, a lot of it's Isaac's, uh, Isaac's, you know, position, but more than anything, I mean, his just ability to write songs yeah. that, uh, that are just unique and interesting and very difficult to play, we, I come to find out, because I don't play anything, but they're apparently <laughs> very hard to play. Um, but yeah, no, it was, that first week I realized it was meaning a lot more, and I, and I, and I, you know, of course the first few sets we played were, you know, this song's about straight edge, this song's about straight edge, this song's about straight edge, but, you know, I realized that, like, all I need, like, a lot of people uh, connect to that song on a, you know, in anything level. Yeah doesn't have to be about straight edge it can be and i you know say it now it can be about hardcore you know it can be about you know your wife it can be about whatever it is that like you latch to in your darkest moments that keeps you from you know drowning Mm. um and an ex of my own is 100 percent pro sellout song right okay it is if you're not straight edge because you want to be don't be yeah, yeah. Because all it does is make us all look worse. <laughs> yeah. I remember, I, I, I can't remember, and I could be fucking this up, but the, one of the dudes who does the Axe to Grind uh, podcast. Yeah, yeah. I met him forever ago, that Pat guy who played in self-defense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, drug church. If I, you see, there's just this one time I met him, and I I could swear, I could, but could be wrong about it, but I remember this him having this straight edge tattoo. It's like an X, and underneath of it it says, don't be boring. <laughs> and to me, that has just stuck with me since I was 19, 20. I can't remember. I was maybe 20 when uh, when I saw it. And it, was, it was on the back of his neck, if I remember correctly. But I remember that being, that just sticking with me so much that like, straight edge, don't be boring. Yeah. <laughs> that is, it, it's, it's a fucking great rule to live by. Just yeah. don't be boring. Yeah. Because you may as well be, if you're straight edge and you're not going to hardcore shows, you may as well be fucking drinking. <laughs> like, if you're straight edge and you have no connection to hardcore anymore, fucking smoke some weed. You're out. You're done. Like, that's the fourth X to me. Yeah. Is like, once you quit being actively involved and actively excited in hardcore, you have no fucking business being straight edge anymore. I'm sorry. But if you, if you don't want to drink and you still want to be, so, you're sober, you know? But you just don't say you're straight edge because you just make us look like fucking losers. <laughs> That's fair enough. Like I would, I would, I always say this. I would rather see a group of seventeen-year-old kids cover Judge than see Judge. Yeah. The, about the only straight edge man I care about seeing reunited mouthpieces because they're all still straight edge. Yeah, yeah. No, this and that mean, that just that that just fucking makes it for me. Just I would rather see young band cover do a cover set 
of a straight edge band that's sold out than ever see a straight edge band that's sold out yeah um but I, I totally agree on your point like especially i think there's a lot of kind of especially like here there was a few years ago there was a big sort of group like near where i live that were like younger kids and they were all sort of like yeah we're straight edge and stuff like that but then within about two years they were all sort of completely changed their music taste and completely like out of the scene sort of thing so like it's just one of those things if you're gonna claim it then stick stick with hardcore yeah, and it, celebrate it, it. that's what it that's where it's where it was generated it's where it matters but like the only straight edge man i think i would care to see that sold out is carry on and it's because that last record is written after he sold out anyway so yeah like, yeah if they if they played it on their show they're only allowed to play the song because that's the only song they really yeah but uh Yeah. And you um you kinda of mentioned obviously like Isaac's position in the band, like obviously I didn't even realise until later on that obviously he was in the band after I sort of sort of started doing a bit of research into you guys. But have you kind of found like a 50-50 split of people sort of coming because obviously Isaac is in Knocked Loose or and people are just becoming because they like your bands like has there been much of a I guess an Isaac rub at all I think that's going to be my tagline inclination the force awakens of hardcore <laughs> <laughs> yeah um obviously you you kind of mentioned like the the pure noise rub so obviously with the the obviously the new ep kind of was all recorded there wasn't much sort of quote-unquote media hype around it it came out 
and obviously with the announcement that you were assigned to Pure Noise. So how did that whole thing sort of come about and was it a decision to to release the EP sort of there and then rather than go through the whole sort of media circus and a bit of hype and things like that? in terms of like the the new record i know we've kind of spoke about it sort of briefly but in terms of kind of the the message that you wanted to put across obviously there's still the the embeddedness of of sort of like the being a straight edge band and things like that but what were you kind of sort of bringing to it in terms of not just being this is a straight edge ep like were there, what, were the, what was the sort of like thought process for you in terms of like lyrics of what you wanted to address in this this CP? Because I think I don't know it, for for me personally, in comparison to the Midwest Straight Edge EP, that this kind of seems to be a lot more. 
I guess subtle in some aspects, but whereas the first EP was a lot more direct, were you kind of like looking for a bit more thematics? What What was your sort of thought process? I definitely wanted to be a little, a little deeper, and I wanted to be a little more four songs that I wrote all the lyrics for I I also I just I I never want to write the same song twice yeah and that was I remember being afraid with the the, 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 the inclination song um that I possibly written the song again mm. like that I'd written no exit again or I'd written all I need again and I like I toiled over that song for a while to try to make it fit what I wanted it to fit where the other songs were all stream of consciousness, were all written basically on the spot. I wrote When Fear Turns to Confidence. The only thing I did was I added in a section, but all of that was basically just one stream of consciousness. Vagrant was one stream of consciousness. Uninhibited was one stream of consciousness. Yeah. Like I sat down, put pen to paper, wrote that many lyrics, and then that many lyrics worked. Right. And uh, like aside from having to add in a line a couple places, like, wedged like some of the all three of those songs the last lines on the on the song were the last lines on the paper okay cool and i hadn't even i hadn't even heard the song yet yeah i hadn't even heard the music yet and that that's how it landed but uh when fear turns to confidence was kind of an idea i'd had for a while because i i noticed and i've talked to some people who feel who don't feel this way but i know a lot of people did because i know i did and I've witnessed it with a lot of people, especially people who don't stay state is the fear of drugs and alcohol right. that some people have, which is, it, it's a, it's a, there's a duality to it where some people are afraid of it almost like it's lava. Right, okay. Almost like if they're near it, it's going to harm them. Yeah, yeah. When a drug on a table is fucking harmless. Yeah, yeah. And there's this weird, like, I don't know, just there's this insidiousness when you're young about drugs and alcohol that it's poison, that it's you know horrible to be around, and that you should avoid it at all costs. And I think that when you're young, sometimes it that's a beneficial point to have. Mm. But as you get older, it's important to understand that it's not you know so scary. Like, sure, it's fucking stupid. Like, cocaine is fucking stupid. Yeah. Heroin is an, an awful fucking thing. But, like, you can be around it, and it's not going to kill you. Yeah, yeah. And I think some people, as they get older, and when if, if their central reason for being straight edge was because everyone around them was, as they get older and people start selling out, there's this also fear of being around drugs your fear shifts possibly to being, I'm afraid if I'm around it, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Because the only reason I was doing this was because so-and-so was, and now they're not anymore. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes that fear that you initially have of, you know, oh my God, like fucking marijuana is fucking terrifying. As that fear washes away and you kind of can be confidently straight edge and confidently drug-free, there's this weird shift that you feel where you can sit in a room with a bunch of people getting higher, a bunch of people getting fucked up, and you can have a good time. Yeah, yeah. You don't need to partake in this, but you also don't need to avoid it. Yeah, no, and I get that. I, and that. So that's like, that was the, 
the foundation essentially for that song idea that I've had for years, honestly. And it's like, like there's 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 straight edge songs that like have always like hung hung with me really really tight. And um, one of them is the first song on the things we carry, like as hard enough as it is. Yeah. Like that song and that message and that just very literal point has always really hung with me and that foundation song no one writes protest songs anymore about how and i know and i know everyone who everyone who, who's reached the point where they can be sober in a setting where people are fucked up have had this interaction where someone says to you that's crazy yeah that you don't drink and i remember hearing that lyric like and you think i'm the one who's crazy and i'll <laughs> like you kind of hit the the nail on the head like because i've been in situations like as you say where i'm the only one that's completely sober in a room full of people that are either drunk or or otherwise inhabited and and they they look like me like as you say the one that's the weird one because i'm not drinking sort of thing but there's also that confidence of of, so like my, my best friend she very much likes likes to smoke some cannabis every so often but like me and her can hang out and there's no like it's absolutely fine sort of thing like she's not putting pressure on me i'm not sort of 
then putting pressure on her to stop. So it's that kind of balance. And I think from from my perspective of your music, it's nice to kind of have a fresh voice on on Straight Edge, especially now in in 2019. Well, I appreciate that, Tim. No, that's absolutely fine. Um. <laughs> I feel like I've taken up way too much of your time already, Tyler, so I'm going to start wrapping things Dude, up. I am literally doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I was playing Red Dead Redemption. Where you oh, I've literally just completed it. So it's t- it took me a long time, but I finally finished it. So Yeah, we're me and my girlfriend are playing it together, so I am only allowed to do side missions when she's not around. Right. Explore, so, uh, well, so I'm... I'm, I'm I'm not gonna have some of those right now. All, all, I, uh, I, will, all I will say is enjoy the journey. It is fucking incredible. Oh, dude, it's so fun. <laughs> it's so fantastic. Um, I, I honestly, I get it. I get it. Like I, I have, I have played video games really years since, uh, like, I'm trying to think. I think since like the last Grand Theft Auto came out. Yeah. I hadn't played video games really at all. And when that last Star Wars game came out, I bought that. And it took me, because I work like, when, I, when I'm working, I work like 55, 60 hours a week. Yeah. So I don't have time. And I go to the gym and I, you know, go to basically every show that happens in Louisville. So, uh, like, I'm just always fucking busy. Um, I never had time for video games. I bought that Star Wars game that probably should have taken a day to beat. And it took me three months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think in three months. In three months, I got five chances to play it. Yeah. And I, and I beat it. And then... We got a we got a um, a PS4 on a Black Friday sale in November, and it wasn't until and we got Spider Man when we got that. It wasn't until I hurt my knee that we beat Spider Man, and that shouldn't have taken that long. <laughs> <laughs> so we we got it in November, and in February we finished Spider Man. So I uh, I don't get to do this. No, no. So I've been kind of kind of enjoying the downtime as much as I can, which. I'd much rather be at work making. Yeah, no, I get that. <laughs> but I will, I will start to wrap things up. Um, how I like to to end the show is to ask my guests what their favourite song is, but with a, a little bit of a twist. So, uh, what is your favourite Inclination song that you like to play live, and why? Mm, um, probably. Yeah, but but nobody knows him yet. So I really I I really like Vagrant. Yeah, honestly. the breakdown in Vagrant is thick, and I like moshing to it. No, that's that's fair. <laughs> when we played, uh, when we were on our way to Fya, the mic, um, the mic cut out in Jacksonville for that song, so I had nothing. I couldn't do anything. So yeah. I ended up moshing the whole time <laughs> brilliant um, so I'd say yeah Vagrant's probably my favorite song to play just because of that breakdown at the end honestly it's so groovy perfect that was I think when I when I was listening to the new songs like the first song is really fucking good and really different and weird but when Isaac wrote the second or when he wrote the second song and showed it to me I was like damn that's scary that's big yeah yeah but uh but yeah that that I guess let's say that and we'll see how it goes over now that people might know it yeah perfect <laughs> Um, Tyler, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, I, no I hope the recovery on the knee goes well, and really, fingers crossed. Hope to see you over on our shores sometime. I'm hoping maybe next year we'll make it over. I'm, I'm going to hold you I've to that. I've never been out of the country 
the only ch- the first chance I got to leave the country with a band was playing Canada, and I don't know if you saw, but three people filled in for me. Oh for shit! Calgary show. Yeah, because I it was the week before, it was the week after the fest when I hurt my knee. Oh so, right, yeah. Oh yeah, you see, I did see this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. I didn't get to play Canada, and that was my first opportunity to leave the country. So, oh, well, uh, ev- even, more of, even more of a reason to, to come over here then. But yeah, I'm going to hold you yeah. to that if you're, if you're not here by 2020. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If, we're, if we don't make it here by then, you can punch me in the <laughs> Perfect. Tyler, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. No problem, man. Cheers. Take care. So there we have it folks massive thank you again uh, to Tyler for his time and as mentioned in the conversation there is a fundraiser uh, going on to help him with his uh, recovery from his knee surgery uh, so if you feel so inclined to help him out uh, there will be a link to that fundraiser in the description of this episode um, and if you need any evidence of how committed the dude is to hardcore just go watch Inclination set from LDB Fest um, where the, the dude just powers through on crutches is it's pretty impressive to be totally honest um, if you want to keep up to date with everything the inclination are doing as well uh, you can reach them on all the usual social media platforms which again will be linked in the uh, episode notes of this podcast um, that is it for another week everyone thank you as always for joining me on the Justin Insight podcast and I'll see you soon